Hello, my name is Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant. I coach some of the world's top executives and management teams, helping them achieve bigger and more meaningful results than ever before. In this season, I'm speaking with C-suite leaders from around the globe to find out what the COVID-19 pandemic has taught them and what wisdom they have to share for other leaders. Welcome to Leadership Lessons for Challenging Times. Today, I'm speaking with Brooks Borsheding, CEO of CloudReach, the world's preeminent independent cloud services provider. It's an incredible, fast-growing company, and uh, Brooks has got an incredible amount of experience in the tech sector gathered over many, many years. In our conversation today, I think you'll find it interesting as he talks really about the three stages of his response to COVID, big business uh, challenge for anybody, even for fast growth, a tech company, uh, and also how he distinguished and differentiated to serve different sorts of customers in different ways. We also get on to some fun subjects such as Pink Floyd, Queen, and Monty Python. Uh, but in amongst that, I think you'll find a wealth of really helpful uh, leadership advice to model and to take into your own life and business. Enjoy this conversation with Brooks Borsheding. Hello there, Brooks. Hey, Richard, how are you? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Hey, thanks for joining, uh, joining this uh, session. Before we jump in, why don't you give us the elevator pitch? Uh, who are you and um, who, what's CloudReach for those of us who don't know? Okay, great. Thank you. So Brooks Borchening, I'm the Chief Executive Officer of CloudReach. You know, we consider ourselves uh, CloudReach uh, kind of the leading independent cloud services company in the world. We provide the cloud professional services, managed services, and also uh, software to help companies uh, adapt and uh, take advantage of the underlying cloud capabilities. Uh, we've been around since 2009, so one of the very first generation you know, cloud services company in the space. If you think about it, that was really the origination of the cloud about that time. Uh, so the very first AWS uh, partner uh, based out of the UK. And, and now really an interesting you know, time and space for us as the adoption of cloud technologies has continued to accelerate. I've been with the company since October. So I came in uh, to basically position the company for this next stage of growth. So we're one of those mid-stage growth companies. Um, and before this, I've been in the cloud space for about a dozen years, back to 2009 myself. I was with a company called Navisite where we rolled out one of the first infrastructure as a service platforms in 2009 and part of that first generation with Rackspace and Terramark and Savas, uh, you know, even predating mm. AWS and Google and Azure, the hyperscale providers that you know, basically dominated the space since then. And prior to that, we, you know, yeah. at Cisco, where we overlapped, uh, I think, personally for a period of time, and, and a while before that with Avaya, and started my career at, uh, at Accenture. So yeah. always in enterprise tech, enterprise comms. Fantastic. Yeah, so amazing, you know, incredible CV with all these big brands um, uh, in it and various executive roles, uh, leadership roles, and chief revenue officer roles as part of that. So, um, and of course, now you're in this great position, right? Cloud is booming. Um, you're a tech company. So as we start to think about leading in on, in challenging times um, through this recent COVID, uh, ongoing uh, COVID um, experience, um, I guess in some ways, um, 
you've probably been able to ride it quite nicely. There are probably some good trends. You're probably good at, quite good at working remotely. But what's it been like? I mean, what, what's worked well for you as you've had to navigate that? And, and where's the challenge been? So from our perspective, we definitely benefit from being a, you know, quote unquote, born in the cloud company. So from 2009, we, we were architected to think cloud first. And it's really our mantra has been, you know, driving and accelerating the adoption of the cloud. So we, we actually embody that uh, ourselves. Um, so we are in a position where we already had everyone equipped to be able to work remotely uh, mobile or at, at a client site. Uh, so therefore, when the pandemic really started to you know, impact uh, businesses, we could immediately pivot to provide business continuity to all of our existing customers. So in, in that regard, it was definitely a benefit for us to be able to uh, offer that continuity of service. And we did it for 100% of our customers. So that's, that, ama- that's an amazing thing, right? I mean, that's just, just to stop on that. It's amazing, right? Because <clears throat> you know, the promise of cloud was always access it anywhere, resilience, um, geographic independence, all the rest of it, right? And it's exactly this kind of time when that suddenly becomes... Uh, the impact of the power of that has become so evident. Yeah. And then we were also, you know, being of, the, of our scale, kind of mid, mid-size, we were agile enough to be able to respond to each specific customer requirement. So some customers wanted to extend some period on site, you know, others wanted to say, how do we accommodate this working remotely? But because of that agility, we could accommodate all those different scenarios. So that, that was, that was positive. Of course, you know, the, the headwind became, if we're dealing with people in, in retail, uh, if we're dealing with people in transportation, you know, or hospitality, many of those customers simply, you know, closed ranks and looked to preserve cash immediately. Yeah. So you had that, you had that headwind at the same time we saw kind of tailwinds of other industries that needed to accelerate their migration to cloud, that they need to scale their businesses, that they, they need to figure out how to get their thousands of workers connected now remotely you know, that may have been a project they were considering, but it wasn't one of those pressing priorities. Um, yeah. You know, they came as a sacrifice to other business needs. So overnight, some of those projects just became, mm. you know, one of the most pressing things that, you know, that they could do. And of course, we've we're, with our services, we're able to help, you know, the greater good. So we, we did, for example, the, the pandemic response platform for the state of Florida here. Uh, in the United States, you know, so how, how they're visualizing the, the spread and sprawl of this, uh, how they're modeling out, uh, how their actions that they're taking are, are positively or negatively you know, affecting the acceleration of, of infection rates, you know, looking at their supplies and where mm-hmm. they might be short and where, how they could accommodate, you know, the needs at the, at the local level for, you know, redistribution. So some things like that were certainly something that the team embraced to say, you know, we never really thought of ourselves of, providing work for the greater good, uh, mm-hmm. but suddenly we're helping save lives really, you know, and, and contribute, you know, to these type of efforts. And, and so in that regard, that was something that the team uh, has yeah. really uh, welcomed you know, in, as, a, as an outcome. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting what you talked about, these projects that suddenly kicked off, right, and other things which totally closed down. When I was at Cisco, actually, I had a phrase when I was building out partnerships, which was, you know, you can run to the front of the train, but you can't go faster than the train. 
So sometimes in a client organization, you know, the train is not moving. They're busy doing something else. They've got other internal things. The train ain't moving. And you can do everything you can do to have all the barriers on your side. But you have to accept that kind of certain reality. And it sounds like what's happened is suddenly a whole load of trains have suddenly decided to leave the station. And you've been ready to jump on that and, and be there. Another load of trains have hit the brakes, right? And actually, exactly, to, yeah. So we were able to just, change, to use your analogy, change trains pretty quickly. So yeah. you know, we were able to re-pivot and kind of address hmm. where where we could bring the most value to to organizations in this time. So how did you, as a leader, um, get your mind in the right place and start to prioritize when faced with this, all this sudden, all the dials changing on the business? Did you have some kind of playbook? I mean, we were talking um, you know, before about, um, about John Chambers at Cisco. He had, had this very quite famous playbook within Cisco for when there was a crisis, how you know, he would say, we need to double down on our customers. We need to use our financial strength. We need to save to invest. There are a number of things he would talk about uh, as his kind of guiding mantras. How do you look at that situation when suddenly everything blew up in the entire business? Huh, that's a good question. I mean, some of it was the practicality of, you know, the, the most pressing needs of the business, right? So part of this, just tactically speaking, was when this took hold, just coming to grips that the needs of our 650 employees, right? So how do we immediately address their personal needs? So yes, they can work remotely but psychologically, you know, what's their work on environment? They all have some pressing personal issues potentially with the impact of the pandemic on them and their families and their environments. And so we went through an extensive kind of management um, training where it was all about um, crisis management for our extended management teams, so down the first layer managers. And we did that very quickly to try to help them help their teams through this mm. time, right? Yeah. So that was just... The, the tactical execution was the, you know, the imperative for us was making sure we care for our employees. And then we already talked about how we were able to kind of address the ongoing needs for our, for our customers. The other is, you know, in terms of the changing trains uh, analogy, we were able to bring pivot some of our services to meet the most pressing needs of customers. So, you know, our advisory capabilities, we were able to, to really bring that forward and say, you know, helping lead through um, crisis and how to manage a remote workforce and thinking about the psychology of organizations um, and, and how to help them. From a technology perspective, it's, you know, enabling remote workforce, VDI, um, remote access, you know, those type of things, which are just capabilities we have. We could bring those, make those more prevalent and kind of right. bring them to market more aggressively so that, that, that organizations knew we could help them through this. And so everything we kind of presented was, you know, we're here to help. Yeah. And we'll try to be as responsive uh, as possible. Now, when you step back uh, about the shift, the, what I think the prevailing thought right now is that we had expected, you know, cloud adoption to continue to pan out for another 10 years, right? So it's already been 10 years. It's accelerating, but it may be only 10% of workloads have actually moved to the cloud. A lot of the core work workloads haven't. So many people are kind of in hybrid states. Yeah. So we, we believe that it was going to continue to accelerate. But I believe what's happened now with the pandemic is it's going to significantly compress the time of that, uh, of that next phase of adoption. Hmm. 
because it's advanced the theory of cloud first is the imperative way to think about how you um, build your infrastructure, right? It wasn't always the prevailing thought. I mean, I think it was accepted over time. Yes, I'll get there at some point, but I don't need to do it now. Now I think every kind of uh, IT leader has recognized yeah. I've got to make that a business priority immediately. Well, so it's like, it's like it? if you get caught out once, okay, but if you get caught out twice, yes. you're not going to be looked at well, right? It's like, hang on, we did this in 2020, right? Why are we doing it again? You know, what, why weren't you ready in 2023 or whatever? <laughs> so, um, so, so from the macro level, I kind of compare this to those you know, technological transitions that John Chambers would have, talking, would have talked about taking advantage of. But similar to kind of VoIP, right, in the, in the late 1990s when IP telephony, you know, started to come to bear and people started to rethink their, their, their consolidated infrastructure to be around Ethernet and how they could leverage that. That was a very significant, you know, technological shift that we were able to be a part of at Avaya. And then when I moved to to Cisco, you know, of course, the overarching digital transformation and now cloud is is one of those very significant ones. And even more recently, and yet related, is you know, software defined networking, and how the wide area network topologies have dramatically changed now with the to embrace the benefits of SD WAN which, you know, provides more, more efficient and effective connectivity to cloud networks yeah. and the hybrid networks. And so we're, it's interesting to see the significance of, you know, these transitions as they take place. And the important things for us as a business leader, I think, is to be able to identify the ones that are truly transformative and be able to prepare the organization to take advantage of those inflection points early. So you need yeah. to be aggressive at, at trying to embrace it take some risk, you know, to be an early player in that space and see if you can position yourself as one of the early leaders to really give you an opportunity to do something special, you know, for the company and for all the employees of the company. So what I'm hearing is really there's that immediate focus on your employees. There was the second focus on, okay, how do we respond to customers and serve them where they are right now? And then there's this long-term or longer-term, okay, what does this mean in terms of catching, you know, really accelerating this trend yes. and, kept, and playing a fence, right, and, and kind of going, going for it? Yeah, so I think in that regard, we, we've been managing through this effectively in the first couple to few months, but I think preparing the organization for that acceleration as, that will, I think, inevitably come uh, as, as we see this acceleration take place. Yeah. What's been the most difficult decision that you've had to make in this period? I think the bravest decision we've made so far has been to hold, hold our footing. And we've been able to basically tell our employees, look, we have a plan to get through this. We did not take aggressive cost-cutting measures. We did not, you know, look at uh, at, uh, at at reducing staff. We actually held our ground, and even started to go to market to say we're looking to to uh, attract great talent now. So we saw this as an inflection point to potentially really strengthen ourselves as we're expecting this acceleration to come. 
I only say kind of brave in the fact that it was potentially against conventional wisdom, right? So, uh, so you have to make that choice as a CEO to go to the board and your investors and say, look, this is a bet I, I want to make and convince them that that's the right, the right play to make. And then be prepared to potentially come out of this faster because we took it as an opportunity to strengthen ourselves. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, zig when everyone else is zagging, right? It's I often think the counterintuitive counterintuitive path is it can be the right one. Often, right? It's um, yeah. I mean, I I I do have the luxury of having a great uh, a backer in Blackstone. I mean, they've they've been fantastic you know as a supporter mm. for for cloud reach and the path that we're on uh so that's that is a luxury that we've had to have such great you know support from our primary investors yeah that's um yeah again it's the ecosystem around around a company right it's not just yeah it's everything yeah. it's the investors and everything what's how has this forced you to grow as a leader what's your been your own journey over these few weeks few months <laughs> Um, personally, it's a lot of uh, introspection and kind of, you know, you can, you can, you can, it's easy to kind of reach out and kind of embrace your teams, right? Externally and care for the teams externally. I think it's very hard to think about how am I being affected by this? Right. right. So that, that personal introspection, I think, is very challenging. And hmm. you know, speaking personally, uh, I understand this is a podcast, but I will answer authentically. Uh, you know, that's the challenge. It's how do you also balance, you know, yeah. professional, personal. How do you also balance kind of the mental fatigue and strain? You know, how do you, yeah. and obviously, well, I've got the background set. I'm sitting here on the couch, you know, where I've been resident for the last two months, you know trying to manage through this and it's just really making sure that that i'm strong you know maintaining my yeah you know, the foundation I've been, personally I've, to, been, uh, I've been hearing that a lot sorry to interrupt sorry yeah i've been hearing that a lot from leaders yeah a lot of my clients right the ceos cfos ctos um and they've had that wave of okay i need to sort my you know take my responsibilities make sure everyone's okay is that adrenaline um and then you just say it starts to become the new normal, right? It starts to become, this is how it's going to be for a while. And oh, do I actually have, the, have my rhythm, my own personal rhythms that have been working for me and sustaining me? You know, have, that, have I actually redesigned those, re-engineered those for the reality of my life now, which is might be locked in with the kids right. around or whatever it is. And if it hasn't happened, I mean, literally a client I spoke to two days ago, he was exactly that situation. It was... You know, I haven't been for a run properly for months. You know, I used to get into work early, be the first person there, have time to get in the zone for the day. Now I'm just kind of like rocking up five minutes before my first call. Um, and my mind's not in the right place. You know, I'm getting through, but I'm not on the front foot. So yeah. I think it's, it's definitely a timely reflection for leaders. Yeah, yeah, I do appreciate some some of the things people have been sharing. You know, thought leadership people, uh, thought leadership pieces that people have been sharing. The CEO for Corn Ferry just puts out some amazing content. To be honest, I, I didn't know who he was mm. at all. I just happened to be, you know, one of these kind of dis- distributions, and suddenly you pick up his content. I'm like, 
that's a very thoughtful person. And I, and I reflect on it. I actually share some of the things with my team too. Say, hey, this is a really interesting thing to, to reflect upon, you know, as leaders of the organization. And it's just that, that kind of mental, you know, I think, psychological, you know, just comfort or preparedness or reflection. And thank you as well, Brooks, for sharing just a little bit of that personal side, because I think it's, often, it's a mark of a, you know, a real leader to be able to be a bit vulnerable uh, and to do that, right? Not everybody on a podcast would, you know, would, would talk about, yeah, sometimes it can be hard, you know, as a leader to, 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 to take that, right? And I think... Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I do think, Richard, you know, playing this out longer term, um, what happens next is going to be really interesting, though. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. reflecting on this probably isn't a norm for us for quite some time. I mean, most, we're already starting to see lasting effects through the end of the calendar year of companies saying they're, you know, they're going to continue to work remotely or, yeah. you know, cancellations of events and significant, you know, tech technological meetings, you know, that were planned for the fall are starting to be pushed. And so you start to see these early indications that this could be a long yeah. ride. And the kind of psychological effect of that on the organization is also something I think as leaders, we need to really be thoughtful about, right? Is if this does start to extend out, how do we really manage effectively as a distributed organization over a longer period of time yeah. in the face of an ongoing pandemic, right? Not just a new norm of, yes, maybe it's a better way to work, you know, live and, you know, and prosper. I'm saying more along the lines of in the face of a potential ongoing pandemic. Yeah. How do you manage that? Yeah, because it's, I say that the novelty wears off, right? And um, for everybody, and there's a first stage where the adrenaline's going a little bit, um, yeah. I think, as you said, it, you know, it, it, if there are waves as well of this, then that, you know, this, the second time you have to go into lockdown is going to be a lot more wearing than the first time. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's just preparing for, you know, those different potential scenarios looking forward and making sure that, you know, you're, you're addressing the needs of your, of your employees, of your organization and, you know, future relationships with customers in that environment. What what would you what advice would you give yourself ten years ago? So if you looked at the Brooks of ten years ago, you know, with what you'd learned now, you know, in in this uh, in your different leadership roles, what would be um, yeah, what would be your advice or well, the big learning? <laughs> ten years ago, it's now. Um. Take advantage of the opportunity, be aggressive and bold and, uh, and cherish, you know, the, the moments you have, you know, with the accomplishments that, and the achievements that you, that you make. I think that's, you know, reflection in the moment of, well, what I tell my team now is we want to make CloudReach the company where you can come in, do exceptional work and take advantage of your capabilities to stretch yourself and really do your life's work, Right. So knowing that people won't be, you know, with the company forever, but I want to give them the opportunity. So when they depart in a few years, they, you know, as they move on in their careers that they can look back and say, that was an opportunity that I really cherished in my career. I got to push myself professionally. I got to do great work. I got to be in an environment with great people and yeah. we achieved something of, you know, of great significance, you know, so when they reflect back, you know, so that's really my, my, 
leadership objective is create exceptional opportunities for 650 people and you know, hope that they get to reflect back on that as you know, one of their great life's experiences. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I think when you, when you can do that, right, when you can help people thrive, almost everything else kind of takes care of itself, right? I mean, the um, happy people in the business is going to create a fantastic business fundamentally. Uh, yeah. As long as you don't get into the comfort zone too much and all the rest of it, right? But if you give people the chance to grow and push themselves, the generally good, good things come out of it. And we try to use that to competitive advantage to attract great talent and, you know, yeah. and, to, and to nurture and develop great talent too. So that's the, uh, that's the premise of you know, who, how CloudReach is going to be successful going forward. Perfect. So let me ask you a few little quick fire questions um, about, you know, uh, yeah, what kind of, uh, what, built, what built you up um, as a person, as a leader? What's your favorite book? <laughs> My favorite book. Oh, I think my favorite book of all time, and this might sound a little bit hokey, but it's probably Jurassic Park, to be honest. There we go. And I, I only because this was before the movie, this was before all that, but the fact of how Thomas Creighton kind of looked at emerging technologies and wove that into a you know, fantastical story mm. But it was on the cusp of what's actually possible, right? Mm. The fact that they were finding these DNA samples of dinosaurs. Yeah. What the, what's the potential of this? So he took that kind of, you know, interesting thought and just, you know, like I said, wove it into a, an interesting story. Um, yeah. yeah. I wasn't a big fan of how that continued in the movies, but just the book itself. It's I went and I read the rest of his kind of many, 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 many of his different stories, like the... Andromeda Strain and things like this. So, you know, I thought it was just really interesting of, you know, that how you could find somebody that, like a scientist that had the ability to, to create that type of, uh, that type of narrative. Yeah, it brings, it brings science or tech to life a little bit, right? When you push it, push it a little bit, but it's still, I mean, often those things aren't so far-fetched as we think, right? When we look back um, a decade or two afterwards as well. What about your favorite um, kind of personal productivity tip, right? What's, one thing that really works for you to get stuff done? Yeah, my, my personal approach is more along the lines of hard work, to be honest. So I have a mantra, you kind of, you know, create your own luck. And I just think that's an effort is, is, is based on effort-based return. So, you know, I, I do do, you had made a comment earlier about, you know, people waking up early and having that time of thought and reflection or, I, I still do that, um, but tend to put in quite a bit of time each day just for the body of work and that, that, that is in front of us. And so often it's just, you know, working at that type of uh, hard pace and, uh, like I said, trying to create your own luck. So, you know, don't, don't leave any rock unturned, especially when you face an opportunity, you know, like the crowd, like, like the cloud uh, uh, adoption. You know, I don't want to look back in three years and think, that we were we were right there to take advantage of this and we missed it yeah right? we missed to, it yeah absolutely you know, we did everything we could to capitalize on this yeah well, that's what, yeah that's what i see often with my clients it's like yeah how do we take the brakes off you know like how do we actually clear the goo the glue or the gunge out the system so that we can actually do what we need to do right at the speed, the speed yeah. we do 
What about um, an inspiring leader? Who's somebody who, you know, who's in your mind is, is somebody who's inspiring or has been an influence on you as a leader? You mentioned John Chambers earlier. Um, I got to work pretty closely with John in the role that I was in at Cisco here in New York. Um, and so got to have, you know, a bit of personal exposure with him. But John was a great leader because of the way that he embraced culture. You know, I hadn't really seen anybody embrace culture like he had and how he leveraged that to competitive advantage for the, for the company. But the, the mantra around, you know, customer first, that was in, completely embodied by him. Like his ethos was do whatever you need to do to satisfy the customer. And he empowered everybody in the, in the company to be able to make a call and they could bring whatever resources they need to bring to bear to mm-hmm. make sure they were doing the right thing for a, for a customer. And everybody knew that because he reinforced it. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it was just really interesting though, to see how they reinforced and built that culture around this, this customer centricity, which is really something I, I learned in that regard. I, I have to admit to being a big Steve Jobs fan ever since I was young. Right. So I grew up in the, in the PC, you know, revolution yeah and i watched every one of steve jobs uh you know uh, presentations every one of them so i just thought he was fascinating to be able to marry the technology to the industry and the way he could articulate you know the show that he presented uh was completely like it was like he was speaking to me individually (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's exactly yeah exactly what i thought and I will say I had a recent opportunity to work with Austin McCord here at Datto. Um, and that's where I was a chief revenue officer recently. Austin was fascinating because he kind of was similar to Steve Jobs in that regard, but he started Datto in college when he was 21. And I joined him as he was the CEO when he was probably 27. And he had a workforce of 800 people. They were all kind of millennial, right? In that age group. But the way he led a millennial workforce as a millennial was spent, was amazing. Right. And so you could get to see the different way of communicating a different way of, you know, uh, of, of creating communities, uh, the different way of how you're motivating that type younger workforce would be firsthand there as an older, now see yeah. <laughs> more seasoned person was a real learning experience. And then to see him succeed, you know, by, you know, selling out, selling his company mm. created for over a billion dollars and being able to, you know, by the time he's 30, just be one of those kind of yeah. real successful young entrepreneurs and moving on to something else was a really interesting experience as well. Yeah. Thank you for showing that. That's um, yeah. Exciting to be around those kind of people always. What about um, your favorite uh, quote or motto? Oh, so it's interesting. Speaking of data, so we would have our um, quotes on the back of our business cards. It was one of the kind of quirky things there. And I chose a quote from Nelson Mandela, which was, it always seems impossible until it's done. Mm. And I was just thinking about that recently, considering the pandemic, right? But how applicable that quote is in the time we're in right now, you know, to come from Nelson Mandela, but a global pandemic of who, who, who knows, you know, how large and impactful this will be as this plays out. Yeah. But, you know, being in the center of that and going through that and sometimes feeling that overwhelming fear of, you know, impossibility 
yeah. and yet knowing that you that we're going to get through it and and when we reflect back we may not know exactly how we're going to do it today but we know we're going to get through it and so when when it's done yeah we'll have saw, thought we kind of conquered the impossible so yeah it's um yeah impossible is really interesting i mean i um actually quite often love setting impossible goals with my clients not not so they have a 17 step plan to get there um because it's impossible right by definition but it's more it's like who would you need to be to be the kind of person that would achieve that goal and to bring that right into the present that's a really incredibly powerful um approach so i have a little you know a model called the million dollar coach it's like well if i was if clients pay me a million dollars a year well how would i be showing up right how would i be spending my days well how do i get up what would i do in the morning um you know, how do I show up? It's a really nice way of um, bringing something new out of you, I think, as a person. Yeah, that's true. Different perspective, different thought process. So my, my final mini question is, uh, you know, I've, I have it on good authority that you were um, one of the world's greatest gurus on 1980s pop music. So um, who's your favorite 80s band? <laughs> Not pop music. It's 1980s rock music. Rock, There's even a, better, even better. Because that's the, that's the nuance of this, is there was some really crap music from the 1980s. But, uh, okay, was, so who's your favorite rock band from the 80s? And... I, I have to say this is probably even to the 70s, 80s. I, I still think Pink Floyd's amazing. And, you know, I can still sit down and listen to animals or the wall or any mm. number of their albums dark side of the moon from from end to end and find it to be a very kind of cathartic experience so i just think they're the, the mastery of an intimacy of that and in, intricity in, in you know the word i'm trying to say is uh, of that music is um really is amazing of how they were able to stitch that all together and the quality of them as individual musicians but as a band uh it, to me, is pretty stunning, really, when I think about it. But then you yeah. have all the classics, you know, you'll have like the Rush, Rushes of the World and things Rush like that. Great, just, some, yeah. just some epic type of rock music. And it's funny, my 17-year-old son now has a 1980s playlist and he, so he goes back. And so if we go out driving together, he'll put on his 80s playlist. And, and, he, and he tells me, he goes, Dad, these are great. These are some great songs. He goes, but my, <laughs> none of my friends know them. So every time I play them, it's like the first time they're hearing this. And, and it's like, this is, some of this stuff is great. So. Well, two, two of my, um, one of my greatest achievements actually has been to kind of um, grow my own band. I'm a guitarist. I love all that stuff, rock music. And um, so I've now got my, my kids both play different instruments so we can be a bit of a band. And um, I'm a big Queen fan. And when the, that Queen film came out, my daughter came back from school saying, you know, dad, I'm really annoyed. Everyone's a Queen fan now. But they don't understand, like, they don't really know it all like I do because, you know, they've, like, been exposed forcibly to their entire back catalogue. So, um... Yeah, you'll, you'll like this little, little way of me leave it, but my, my daughter now, my 12-year-old daughter, she could, if you ask her, she has her top five Pink Floyd songs. She has her top five Beatles songs. And uh, so it's super... In fact, the other day she went online and she ordered herself a Dark Side of the Moon T-shirt. And she didn't even tell me. And she comes down like, you know, for, for lunch, or I see her after her virtual school and she's wearing this pink t-shirt. I'm like, where'd you get that? She goes, oh, I ordered it. I was like, 
Good for you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a very proud moment, right, when you've managed to persuade your kids to like the same kind of music. Yeah. Uh, hey, it's been great to speak. Um, so just tell me, where can people find more out about you or about CloudReach, you know, if they want to uh, upgrade their, their cloud game? Where do they go? Yeah, it's pretty easy. It's good. Go to our website and, uh, and you'll find your way, right? We're, we're trying to tell our story through, uh, through the web and they can reach me at brooks at cloudreach.com. So a pretty simple way to reach me directly. I have a, I have a mantra internally for my employees that says no Slack goes on unresponded to. So we kind of embraced, you know, uh, transparency, radical transparency in that regard. But I do have the same for people to reach out to me externally as well. I think fostering the community is a, is a great thing to do. So. Well, hey, Brooks, that's been a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed it. And thanks for, you know, being open, sharing lots of great stories uh, and ideas uh, to everybody. So um, once again, really appreciate it. And thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Rich. Cheers. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's turn to you. If you're a top performer who's already accomplished great things, and yet knows that there's a whole new level of impact and potential open to you. Then why don't we get on the phone and strategize on how to get you there? Head over to xquadrant.com forward slash speak to find out more. Until next time, be bold and be purposeful.